Hi, everyone. I'm Sean Ramisferum. So I want to, in an exercise and an attempt to get you guys used to screaming out loud and being, you know, a little more extroverted than usual. Um, I want to know who you are. So like everyone on the count of three, yell your name at me. One, two, three. This is, this is good. Okay. Okay. I, I'm here from New York. One, two, three. Where are you from? One, two, three. Okay. My favorite podcast is more perfect. What are your favorite podcasts? One, two, three. You were supposed to say more perfect. That's, that's messed up. Okay. So this is fun. Um, a bit about myself before we get into all the tracking stuff. Uh, I started as a volunteer at WAMU in Washington, D.C. many, many years ago, almost a decade ago. And at the time, my tracking was so bad, they sent me across the country to Santa Cruz, California to get better. So uh, there I worked at a member station called KUSP, which no longer exists. Support your local public radio stations, please. Um, and I got better there because I was left to my own devices. I got to be on the air a lot. I had to get better or it would be really embarrassing for me. My mom was listening. Uh, but I really started getting better uh, when I started writing in my own voice. And that's the biggest takeaway today. If you have like another session you really want to go to and you just want to like soak up one piece of information, it would be uh, write to your voice and not to what you think you should sound like because that will almost never work. Um, but I got lots more detail if you want to stick around for some more. So, um, because you're not just going to hear from, from me today, uh, you're going to hear, as I said a little earlier, from some, some of my favorite voices in podcasting slash radio, uh, starting with this lady, and we haven't done a check on the audio, so hopefully this sounds good. But again, lots of phone tape, lots of me not on the phone, so I'm going to be louder, and I apologize in advance. It's early West Virginia Anna. It's baby Anna. You're going to hear early West Virginia Anna Sale baby Anna Sale, before she was the host of Debt, Sex, and Money, which we listen to, show of hands, Debt, Sex, and Money, anytime, once, a million times, that's pretty good. Okay, so we all know what we're about to hear then. Uh, the voice of Anna Sale, but before she found her voice. And what's the piece about? It's about um, Bruiser Cole, who put, pulled an old Greyhound bus up on top of a rock that was in the middle of the river in West Virginia and made it his fishing camp. <laughs> Rumors swirl in Fayette County about just how the bus landed there. Some say a band of college kids pulled it up on the rocks in the 1960s. Others claim the bus was washed out to the middle of the river during a flood. The truth is that it was the work of one man, Bruiser Cole, who was in search of the perfect fishing camp. And as fabled as his camp has become, Cole's given it a simple name. Bus on a rock. Okay, that's what she sent me when I was like, Anna, I want an example of your bad tracking. Did anyone hear maybe what Anna didn't like about that piece of tape out of curiosity before Anna tells you what she didn't like about that piece of tape? Just tell me. Her voice is very high, a little sing-songy. I think that's probably part of it. Anything else? Sounds reedy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Here we go. Okay. Um, so Bruiser is awesome that I just, not only, I mean, the first lesson of tracking is like, Tra good tracking is good writing, and so there was, mm. it was overwritten, which resulted in awkward tracking, which sounded very much like a young reporter trying to sound like a TV You were playing the reporter. part of reporter Anna. Yeah. 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 I was still getting used to being in front of a microphone. Okay, so as I said, that will be the big lesson today. Uh, good tracking is good writing. And um, I actually wanted to do a little exercise because I realized, I, I realized a little too late that a lot of like, the presentations here at Third Coast today are like group, like there's a duo up here doing a presentation, and 
I didn't know that was an option when they asked me to do this. So I'm just up here alone for 45 minutes or whatever it is, an hour and 15. Uh, so I was hoping I could get like a little volunteer to come up here and play, play radio with me for a second. Who's a brave soul? It, it'll be fun, I promise. There we go, great. What was your name? Kelly. Give it up for Kelly. There, there used to be a second microphone up here, Kelly, but we're gonna have to share this one. Why don't you come stand over here? So here's a Word document. Uh, <laughs> thing of the past, it's like cassette tapes. Uh, so, so Kelly's gonna tell me a short story. You volunteered without knowing what you were yeah. gonna do. Awesome, thank you. Um, and she's gonna tell me a very short story, like a paragraph long story about anything, about something you experienced at Third Coast, about your life, about uh, your day yesterday. And I'm just gonna write, write it down and then uh, we'll look at our radio script and talk about how it could be better. Sound good? Yep. Okay, the stage is yours. So I'm in the middle of a project called 50 Fat Dates, but I lost 150 pounds and now it's really hard to get dates. Is it 50 first dates? Fat. Fat dates, okay. And say it again, but then you lost. I lost 150 pounds this year, and now it's really hard to get dates, and that surprised me. I'm not typing very well this morning. Do you need more info? Uh, yeah, longer? give me more. So I wrote a column about it, and it went viral. So the thing that I got a uh, little bit famous for, not really famous, but known for, is that nobody wants to date me. <laughs> I'll go out with you. <laughs> Thank you. Later. Yeah, I'm actually still single. I'm 18 dates deep into the date, so I still really am looking for dates. Community service oh. announcement. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, give it up for Kelly. Thank you. Sorry, I've been sleeping very much. I type better sometimes. Okay, so let's just say I was gonna go re record this. It's a very short news spot for, for like a member station or something like that, which, which is like, I think there are spots that are this short. I've heard them on WNYC. Um, let's say this is my script. I'm about to hit print. Anything I should do to this thing before I hit print? Great, so I heard, did you say, did you say read it, Kelly? Read it to yourself is true. Um, that's a good one. But yeah, let's just do visual stuff first. Let's say font bigger. Tell me when. Good. I think that's a good start. All right, give me another thing I should do to it. Sorry, one more time. Sure, great. Any words you want to... Kelly, what do you think? What are the words that you really want to hit? 50 fat dates. Let's just say underline. Both. I did both. Okay, cool. Anything else? What's next? Sure. Really. Where's really? Sorry. Third line. Now it's really got it. Great. Okay. What else could I do? Hell's yeah. That's the biggest thing. So I teach a lot of tracking at the NYU, and kids come in with with uh, with scripts that are just block after block after block after block, and that's the worst thing. Because when I get into the studio to read this, even on my best day, I'm like, so I'm in the middle of a project called 50 Fat Dates. I lost 150 pounds this year, and now it's really hard to get dates, and that surprised me. But in my head somewhere, I know I'm just trying to get to the end of that paragraph. And when you're looking at a fat block of text, it's almost impossible to not be just trying to get to the end of it, because you want to go do something else. You want to check Twitter. So <laughs> break it the heck up, right? Um, and, and we're going to hear more about this throughout this session from Anna and everyone else I talked to, but 
you do not want to be looking at a lot of text. If anything, you want to be looking at like yay much text per line, you know? One kind of idea, one thought per sentence. I mean, I'm, this isn't the logical way to do this, obviously, <laughs> but like that, that is a better looking script. Uh, and that's gonna get you to a place where you're not thinking too hard about what's next, you're just like in that idea. And at that point, I think you might actually start to sort of improvise and vamp on the spot and then really get to the place where you sound natural. Cool? Any other big things that you want to change this script right now, or we good? All right, so back to Anna Sale. One thought per sentence. <laughs> Maybe. Half a thought per, per sentence, basically. <laughs> but do you, do you still script the shit out of your show now that you've got, you know, like a, a thing that's, that's built up and, and people have bought into it? Is it, or can you kind of, do you know what you need and you can just speak into a mic, or does that never happen? Um, no, that happens. I think, you know, when I'm tracking, like when I'm tracking from a script, so like uh, I now what I do is I, you know, I do spend a lot of time on the writing, and it's like after reading it out loud at my desk, reading it out loud to desk and money producers, like making it simpler, making it easier to say, making sure it sounds conversational. And then I um, basically don't, I, I, I kind of, I almost like close my eyes now when I'm actually mm -hmm. recording the tracking mm -hmm. because I've, it's you know the idea is that after after practicing after getting the writing down um, something Emily Botine always says is she's like just tell it to me, which is basically that, saying like just abandon your script right? Yeah, abandon yeah. the script, but you know the script is thought thought out and that's important thinking, uh -huh. but um, but don't be wedded to the ways that, you know the the words actually ended up on the page. Yeah, it's more like. You know, I, I often now, if a sentence is written like, you know, Anna Sale, who lives in Berkeley, told me that she loves talking to Sean on the phone. <laughs> and I'll just, even if that's on the script, I'll say, Anna Sale, she lives in Berkeley. And she told me she loves talking to Sean on the phone. Mm. Like that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's just like making that in the moment transition to, to telling it. So I don't know if that's surprising to you, that like really spend a lot of time in your script, make sure it's supernatural and in your voice, and then abandon it. Uh, it's kind of a funny piece of advice. It's like work really hard and then light your art on fire. But I can guarantee you that from Death, Sex, and Money to This American Life to Radiolab, More Perfect, uh, a lot of these shows, that is exactly what's happening. Uh, Radiolab, More Perfect, I can speak to more than Radiolab, but it's the same process, so it is the same thing. We're getting to like, version 47 of a script, which is insane and painful, but, and then we go into the studio and Jad has no interest in what your script says. You know, he wants you to tell him the story as you would in front of a campfire, as you would at a bar. The thing, the, like the, radio, the public radio trope is like, tell it to me like you're at the bar, which at this point I've heard so many times that like it literally just means nothing to me. It's like the, the, the adults and peanuts, you know, like, but, but Jad, he's built this into his process. Um, there's something called the brain dump at Radiolab. Does anyone know what that is? Tell me, Barton, what's the brain dump? You did a brain dump. Today you did a brain dump? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what was that experience? You want to get on a mic? Check, check. Um, so I did a piece for Radiolab called uh, Neither Confirm Nor Deny. And there was a brain dump with Robert Krulwich, which like went on too long and he just left. But <laughs> um, because so I had so much in my brain that I wanted to like. To so what was the idea? That. What did you sit with Robert so to do? He, he didn't 
know the story, so you know he just had been briefed a little bit, and so he was just like, so tell me how you got interested in this. How did you come across this story? What was it that was intriguing to you? Um, who did you meet? Oh, that's interesting. And then we just started having a conversation, and he was like, so this is this, and that is that, and what? You know, and it was just like that. And sometimes they use that. They didn't end up using my particular brain dump. At all? No. Okay. But it was really interesting as someone who does scripts, you know, works off of scripts, that there wasn't a script, and it was a little terrifying the whole time through. Like, what is this going to be? And I didn't know. I mean, I I would listen to versions of it, and I would give notes and be, like, fact-checky. Like, this is not actually something you can say. That's not physically possible, you know. But in the end, I was hearing it like another listener. And I was, you know, like, amazed. It was so wild, you know. But, you know, we would just... I'm getting off the brain dump thing, though. But, sure, no, no. I think it's but it was all brain dumpy the whole way through. <laughs> right. So it's not the most, like, journalistic activity, the brain dump. It isn't, what, wait, what was the exact date and time that that happened? Or it, was, it isn't, right. like, who were all the people in the room that fact. day? It it's, like, tell me fact. the story the way you'd tell it to me if we were just talking on, right, at the back right, of the bus. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, the structure of the brain dump does sort of become the piece in, like, it, it all started with this guy, and I ran across his tweet, and it, I got intrigued, and then it was like opened up this wormhole, and that's the whole story, you know. And then like pulling yourself out of the wormhole back to the present. Right. So we did use the structure, that very simple structure, and now I steal it all the time when I'm editing stories and be like, just tell me how you got into this. Totally. Story. So there's a trick for you guys. If these ideas seem sort of nebulous, thank you, Julia. Uh, Call a friend. You're like, I don't know, what was Sean trying to explain to me? What, how do you make this more natural? How do you get off the script? Call a friend and just be like, hey, can I tell you this story that I'm working on? And tell me, and then at the end of the conversation, be like, where did you sort of lose interest? What were the parts that made, made you lean in and really listen and sort of you know, scratch your head and stop looking at, at, at Twitter? while we were talking on the phone. Uh, this is a recurring theme in my life. Uh, so so that's, that's like a way, that's like a fail-safe way to do this, is just tell someone the story. And that's the way, maybe, if you want this natural sound, that you should be telling it. Now, very important is there, is, uh, there are obvious exceptions to this, um, to this method, to this way of reporting a story. Does any, can anyone think of them? Just scream them out. Like podcasts or, or radio pieces that don't seem to subscribe to this methodology. I think 99% Invisible is a decent example. What was the other one? This American Life? No, definitely this. Well, it depends on the, the storyteller. So that's the thing. Okay, those two, it's hard to say because there's so many freelance reporters. But let's just say Shit Town is a great example of not anything to do with this. Because Brian Reed seemingly wrote a book and wanted it to read and sound like sort of a novel, right? This word I was introduced to, novelistic, out of shit town. That isn't this. That isn't like, turn your script over and abandon it. It is, you slaved away on this script and you want it to sound this way, it should sound this way. I think other great examples of it, to my mind, maybe it's it's sort of subjective, uh, Home of the Brave, Scott Carrier writes, he writes, you know, prose and reads it to you. Memory Palace, I think is a good one. Yeah, uh, you must remember this, right? Those are ones where you've got people whose voices are sort of more writerly, and they're reading their, you know, their prose to you. And I think you need to figure out if that's what you're doing or if that's not what you're doing. And if that's what you're doing, 
this again might not be the most useful uh, thing for you, but I think it's also great to know how to do this. And I think Brian Reed knows how to do this. So it is, it is useful, um, but finding your voice is a mission that you will go on. Maybe you're already on it, but uh, here are some ways to, to find that naturalism. You have to listen back to your raw tracks of you tracking when you're oh. learning. So because you, you can hear yourself, you can hear what's wrong with your tracking when you're listening back in a way that you can't when you're doing it. Um, and I, and, and that, I think it's really painful because you're going to hear your like spit sounds and the, when you flubbed and like how you didn't say this sentence in a way that sounded normal or natural. But like, I don't think tracking is like talking to a friend at a bar because you're standing in front of a microphone, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, and you're like, you're, you're performing whether you're trying you know whether you're a big performer and like trying to sound performing but yeah. you're you're speaking to a script or you're you know somehow you know presenting something you're hosting something you're create like so it's not talking to a friend at a bar you know as a host or as a as a reporter on a piece like you are the one doing the convening so it's about how you want to convey that um and yeah, so I think that's the heart. That's the lesson. I think is listen back to yourself, and and um, and also, I mean, that what's so hard. Listen back to yourself. You'll notice what are your the things that you want to change, and then try not to obsess about them, or your tracking will just get worse. <laughs> Great, <That's laughs> which is such asshole advice. Asshole advice with Anna Sale is a show coming to you from Midroll next summer. <laughs> um, really excited about that one. Um, but yeah, Anna's trying to tell you that you know, she was where you are right now, or maybe where you have been, or maybe where you will be, which is, you know, she made really bad radio at first. When early on, I was, I was so bad. My tracking was so unnatural. And like, people would try to give me little fixes, like, what if you try doing this? Or what if you try doing this? And it got way worse before it got better. So it's uh, about like, finding the comfort in front of the microphone. And um, I think an interesting exercise while you're listening to yourself and while you're listening to all your bad tracking is go back, like listen to the most recent episode of More Perfect and then go back, uh, you know, five years and listen to like an episode of Radiolab that Jad was on a lot and then go back like 10 years and listen to an, an episode of Radiolab that, that Jad was on a lot. And you will hear Jad's tracking evolve. Jad is like getting to the point where he's leaving flubs in his tracking. He doesn't even care. The most recent... We did this, uh, we, the most recent thing I think we posted was this, uh, this debate, this debate we held at the Green Space in New York. And in like the top, he, he screws up the word political, I think. He's like po uh, political or something. It's like really just an obvious glaring error. And he knows it's there and he left it in. And we asked him like, do you want to retract that? And he's like, nah. It's to the point where he's literally just leaving mistakes in. It, was like, it would be like a five second fix. And it's right at the top of the piece. But like he's going like, that's like extreme natural tracking right there, you know? Um, but like that's, that's his evolution. And it's, it's, it's heartening that Jad is still evolving. Like this guy who couldn't be more well regarded in our business is like, eh, I think I, think I could be better at this. And literally to most people, it sounds like he's getting worse at it. But in his mind, that's an improvement. And um, is this being recorded? <laughs> Anyway, like, uh, I think I talked to Stephanie Fu, you'll hear from her in a second, and uh, she said the same thing about Ira. Ira's still evolving, still changing. So, um, good news, like, you're gonna keep changing and you'll keep getting better, and that better is sort of defined by you, which is, I think, really cool. It's important to sort of see, 
oh, well, why could I not say that sentence? Oh, it's because it had a clause in the middle of it in a stupid way, or because it had an S leading into another S, and I can't, I have, you know, I had a lisp when I was a kid. You know, like that mm. sort of thing is, um, which I did. I had speech therapy as a kid. Um, wow. Yes, I got pulled out of class to play board games and asked to say this over and over again. <laughs> but you, you conquered it. You conquered it. And now you host a fucking interview show. I did, yeah. So there you go, kids. Yeah. Okay, great. That's all. That's all my advice. So I believe at this point it's customary to say all hail Anna Sale. Um, so Anna's experience is very much her own, but I mean, it's also, as far as I can tell, universal. I interviewed five or six people for this, this session um, and, you know, talk to radio producers all the time. And just to prove it, I spoke to another person you'll recognize who started as a reporter but now hosts an interview show. I did this thing where I tried to sound a little too self-serious, so I lowered my voice arbitrarily. Does anyone know who's that, whose voice that was? Sam Sanders. There he is. All right, good. I'm going to read a note that went out to the news to our news desk today. <laughs> Perfect. In the way that I would have voiced stuff years ago when I was just starting out. Congress has approved a joint budget resolution, a critical step to pave the way for major tax legislation later this year. The Senate approved resolution passed the House nearly 216 to 212. Just like, why am I talking like that? <laughs> so if you've listened to Sam's show, it's been a minute, or if you heard any of his great coverage of the election last year, he does not sound like that anymore. He sounds very much like Sam, which is why I wanted to talk to him. And, uh, you know, the exact same experience as Anna. He's trying to be more serious, talking in a lower voice, and... Um, I don't know, two's like, uh, what, what, how does it, when do I get to a trend? Is it three? I need three? How does it work? How does journalism work? And then I decided I was going to go through my Roman Mars phase, and Roman Mars has that very low, sexy voice, mm -hmm. you know, and I was like, I can be sexy, yeah, like, that's how professionals do it, is professional ladies sound, like, very alluring on the air. I should be alluring. Um, and then that was also, I sound fucking ridiculous. Anyone recognize that voice? Stephanie Fu. That is professional lady Stephanie Fu from This American Life. Uh, totally different background from, from Anna and Sam. Didn't start out as a sort of beat reporter at a member station. Um, but totally same experience, just with this, sh this Roman Mars thing. Do you want to hear uh, Stephanie's shitty Roman Mars? Um, the tape is awful, but you've got to hear it. Uh, what she was doing is while we talked is she, would, she was sitting at her computer with speakers and she would just hold her phone up to the computer. So apologies in advance, but I kind of liked it. It was kind of, you know, it was like raw. All right, so here we go. I'm Stephanie Fu. You are listening to Stage Dive. <laughs> Butch Big. Oh, right on. Butch is a music producer. You might have heard of some of the albums he's produced. Oh my god, I just want to die. I want to <laughs> die. That's my shitty Roman Mars. Ugh. Ugh. See, this is why you, it's good to give up on some projects. Uh, so Stephanie gave up on that project, but I think this is a place we've all been. Have we all listened back to our tracking and been like, Gugh. Okay, cool. I'm going to play you some of my old tracking, just so I'm not like, you know, embarrassing my friends the whole time. This is, I used to host a thing uh, at WAMU called Artbeat with Sean Ramos for him. Every morning I'd get on the radio and for one minute give you updates on the arts and culture events in the DC, uh, the DMV as they called it then, the DC area. So here's a minute of garbage. <laughs> not every week presents a chance to travel through time and space. This one does. 
Four students at the Catholic University opened an exhibit exploring the two concepts this Thursday. About Time features works that will move, grow, and evolve over the course of the exhibit. You can appreciate motorized steel, mold-growing clay, and unpredictable ant farms through mid-April. You can travel back in time along with Burt Lancaster at the National Theater in Northwest this spring. The Hollywood icon is remembered tonight with From Here to Eternity and other favorites screen every Monday until the end of April. And for a little space travel, the Washington area's art stream has two original one-act musicals beginning Thursday at Arlington's Gunston Theater 1. Evil aliens try to take over the universe in StarCore 4, The Search for MindZap. And Oh My, an invasion finds a few aliens after our most treasured artifacts while some secret agents led by Pocahontas try to stop them. You can find Artbeat from other spaces and times online at wamu.org arts. Thank you. Thank you, Chicago. So we've all sucked, um, <laughs> but all these wonderful people all recommend the same way out of the suck, which is just write better. That was like bad writing and bad tracking, so it's the, the perfect mix. Uh, when, I, uh, when I listen to Mike Pesca, who hosts The Gist and is on NPR all the time, I don't even hear a script, but it turns out he's written stuff down, and that's what helps Mike do Mike. Here's Mike. Yesterday, and this was about John Kelly, not about Trump, but it was about Kelly's appeal to Trump. Maybe if it was in the beginning, I'd say. <clears throat> Yesterday, and this was more about John Kelly, wasn't about Donald Trump, but this was about Kelly's appeal to Trump. So I, don't, I, I, I would say the range is a little bit lower, and it's definitely not as wide. Yeah. But then on the show, I am quoting the New York Times and kind of making fun of this Tom Cotton quote about John Kelly. So I said... I think he appreciates the struggles of America's working class, the blue-collar workers, the kind of people who have to take a shower after they get off work, not before they go to work. (laughs) (laughs) So if you don't listen to the gist or know Pesca's work, this might not make a lot of sense, but I tried to get him to explain his craft, and uh, here's a little more uh, by way of explanation, and if you still don't get it, I'll I'll explain it further for him. (laughs) Talking about Donald Trump and this fake idea that he's a hero to the working class, this, the hero to the great unwashed. And then I, if I was talking, I would say, oh, he's a hero to the great unwashed. Oh, wait, isn't the guy a germaphobe? <laughs> but because I had those thoughts maybe when I wrote it and then what you hear on the podcast becomes. And the, the hero to the working class, slash germaphobe, yeah. right? it's, you know, I, since I know I'm going to say the germaphobe and the thought doesn't occur to me um, in real time, the delivery is better. Yeah. So... Um did we catch what, what's going on with Pesca? He scripts, he just bullet points his stuff so that he can like be in dialogue with Pesca when he's recording his tracks. So he basically will like really hastily write up some notes for what he's going to say on the mic, and then he gets on the mic, but because he has that foundation, it allows him to vamp and do the thing that he does so well. And um, he, he had lots of opinions about uh, how exactly NPR does its thing, uh, which he has a lot of experience in, and he went on a little rant, which is one of my favorite things that he does, about over-scripting, especially in an interview. So here's one minute of Mike Pesca on how not to do an interview. Most of the time when there's an NPR two-way, it's scripted. And yeah. I would say the vast majority of the time when I say scripted, I mean every single word is written beforehand. Mm-hmm. And if you work for NPR, you could actually go into the central system, it used to be called the ENPS, and you could see the thing, 
that the reporter was going to say before the reporter said it. Right. And that always, on some level, offended me. <laughs> like, I think it's probably, it probably keeps a lot of reporters from being bad, and it probably makes the NPR brand what it is, which, which is a lot of people speaking with perfect subject-verb agreement. <laughs> but I never did that, and I would only give them a word. And in the beginning, people were like, you've got to say more, you've got you to gotta give us more in the script. But when I got good editors, and this is important, good hosts, who would do it one or two times and know that they didn't have to do it, I would give them the questions and then just give the answers. Good hosts love that, and that also, I think, affects how you think about delivery. So... I'm not like trying to just sit up here and talk shit about NPR. I think we're all here on some level because of NPR. Um, but I think you can hear these things that he's talking about when they're done poorly, and it doesn't connect. It doesn't sound very good. It sounds like everyone was in a rush, and they just scripted an interview, and they're reading a script, which literally like the point of a two-way is to have a conversation, and that's not what that is, right? Uh, I think we can all agree on that. Does anyone want to dispute that? This is a conversation. So when it's bad, it's bad. When it's done well, you don't notice it, so great. Um, but there, there are some, like, some tropes and some habits that we can break here that I think will result in better radio. And the reason why Mark Maron has one of the most popular podcasts in the universe is because he's just having real conversations with people, right? And so we have some, some examples to point to that have, have done the opposite to, to great effect. So also things that I talked about with some of these guys are just writing ticks that they hate. So, so here's some of that to continue down the road of talking shit. Like my biggest pet peeve is when people say verdant when they mean green. <laughs> this is a verdant lawn. No, it was green grass. Say it was really green. So like that kind of thing. Strip out all of the words that make you seem bougie. It's yeah. just like say real words. Uh, so no big $5 words, but also some of the, some of the small words are problematic. Uh, I started a question when I was talking to Pesco with, so what was the thing? You, and he was like, I noticed you started with the so there, and here's there's that. And you know what? As you said, you started with the word so. I've been noticing there are more NPR reports or public radio reports starting with the word so. Uh-huh. And, and let's, uh, as an industry, think about that. <laughs> Never do it again. But with our voice inflection, communicate it. Let's have the listener think we started with so. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think Mike uh, is a very, you know, attentive listener, and he's noticed this thing, and it's totally true. If you think about it, and while you're listening, you'll hear it all the time. People going, so, the thing is, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of that stuff is in pre-recorded stuff. So, if you think you're doing something that's sort of tropey and overdone, just cut it out, you know? Like, the so might be helping you sound more natural, but you can just clip it off and then have the thing and you'll be good, uh, and not annoy Mike Pesca, which we shouldn't do. Uh, again, Mike Pesca. Well, I'll give you another one. I don't know if this is done so much, but they'll, you'll throw to a cut, and then up the, the reporter will say, again, Norm Coleman. Yeah. Like, don't say again. Like, an, again, again with the again? We've got to stop the again. Okay. Uh, I, I, I just did that. I was, I was trying to be funny. Um, we do this all the time. Radiolab does this all the time. I've done it on More Perfect. And I think I'm doing it because I hear it on Radiolab and part of me like wanting to please Jad is like wanting to conform to his style. Uh, I would stop doing that. Like don't conform to anyone's style. Conform to your style. I mean, and if that's your style, go for it. But there's like a lot of things we just do in radio because they're done in radio. And this is a great time to question our norms, as, as we all know. Uh, so, so do it, you know, do it your way. The reason Radiolab is so popular is because Jad went into studio late at night and started making a thing his way, and he invented a thing. 
which is way more exciting than just doing the thing that you hear on like, you know, your local member station, which love member stations, support member stations. But there's a lot of these things that we don't question, like starting every story with like, I'm going to tell you a surprising story. Like I've heard that so many times. Just tell me a surprising story and at the end. I'll be like, that was a really surprising story. <laughs> Stop selling it that way because every story is being sold that way. And like, this is a thing that I, I'm telling you that I am guilty of. Uh, I think we say like at the top of my most recent more perfect piece, like this is going to be surprising. Hopefully it is surprising. And we, we like justified that, but you really can just tell a story and like not hold the hand of the audience member that hard and like they'll they'll probably be with you if they're listening it's got to be pretty bad for them to delete it without getting to the end of it right um here's stephanie Fu, who also has problems with things she hears i think that the main thing too is just to like get people to try and not sound like other people oh the thing that drives me crazy most often when i'm hearing like podcasts just people who are obviously trying to sound like, like they'll do the interview and they sound completely normal in the interview. And then a second later when their narration comes up, they're like, no, I'm a reporter. And I'm like, you're not a reporter. You have a podcast that like 15 people listen to. You don't need to do that. She's not talking about any of you guys, don't worry. <laughs> but just as a reminder, these are all people saying that they have been there. Pesca has been there. Fu has been there. Sanders has been there. Anna Sale has been there. So it isn't like judgy. It is we can all do this better. Uh, that's the takeaway here, folks. People are writing like they're writing for a newspaper. Like, uh -huh. they do this thing when they're IDing someone. Uh, they'll be like, it'll never be enough, says Jeff Smith, author <laughs> of the book Jeff Smith Says. I can't do that. When do you do the whole, says Jeff Smith? No one ever <laughs> says, says Jeff Smith. Like, don't say that. So what, what you should say is, Jeff Smith says, da 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 a lot of times we bring uh, people come into a public radio newsroom from lots of different places, and if you came from a print newsroom where they loved your print writing, why would you change it when you yeah. went to a radio newsroom unless someone says, "Hey, do it differently now." Yeah. Um, but it's it's funny. As long as I've been at NPR, I've never really seen an institutional, system-wide push on better radio writing. Okay. We seem to be very delicate about telling people that their writing's crappy. <laughs> 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 and we shouldn't be so delicate about it. It's hard to tell someone, or it's hard to say to yourself, my writing's bad, but, like, most of our writing's bad. Right. And that's okay. <laughs> it, get, it, it can get better. This is where being a radio reporter or a podcast maker is kind of harder, because you, you have to worry about your writing and worry about your voice and worry about your editing. I mean, we haven't chosen the easiest path to success here, but uh, I, as I said, you know, even the best in the game are still trying to get better, and that's, that's a great challenge for ourselves. Um, so let's just pretend now that we're, we're fast-forwarding ahead 10 years and we're all like pros and we're making the best radio of our lives, say, at This American Life. Life is good now, right? love tracking. I did. Um, now I feel like I have a, as everything with This American Life, we are perfectionists. Um, and I feel an intense sense of uh, inadequacy <laughs> about it. <laughs> so that's a no. No, it doesn't get that much better, that much quicker. Stephanie still hates tracking um, a million years later. Uh, and let's find out why. Like, maybe I've been relying too much on what other people say I should sound like. Uh -huh. And I should, like, spend more time talking in the studio by myself to myself. 
So there's like some guy in the studio telling Stephanie how to sound better. And I wonder who that guy is. Yeah, yeah like, so keep it, yeah, like, like, I feel like, I feel like there's two different tones you're going for, and one is more fun, like, really are talking, and they really are talking, they're totally landing. It's really okay, nice. cool. Okay. So he's telling me <clears throat> that uh, I'm sounding like I'm performing too much and that I need to go for a version that sounds like really me talking. That's good. Uh, all these things are good. Uh, just go back and just after just disappeared. Uh, there was a kind of like, I'm not rushing, I'm just telling it to you quality to the early part that, that I want to get in the second part because uh, it was super good. So just like, again, don't rush, don't sell too much. Consider you just said, but those people who just disappeared just pick up what's in their absence. Again, think about what you're saying. Don't rush, keep it real. Pick up at her mind. Don't rush, keep it real. Don't rush, keep it real. This is like there's when you find out that celebrities part. poop too. <laughs> yeah, basically, our <laughs> boss says the exact same shit as everybody else. Did you guys catch that last bit? Our boss says the same shit as everybody else. That is like the most reassuring thing I can share with you today. That even if you get up to this American life, Ira Glass is like, just, just sound like yourself. Just do it more natural. Which is what I could tell you right now, which is what anyone could tell you at any point. The advice that he is giving her is the exact same advice that I've gotten my entire career from like a tiny member station that doesn't exist anymore to like sitting in a studio with Jad. It's like, uh, that was like okay, but you could do it a bit better. Try it one more time, slow it down, sound more like you. <laughs> and it's annoying her. You all got that? I've given you too much direction. Say whatever the fuck you want. So even Ira Glass can give too much advice. Okay, here's the one piece of advice that everyone uh, gives, though, at This American Life. Sometimes it drives me crazy listening to myself on the air because I feel like it sounds like me trying to toss it off. Like, that's the direction that we always get is toss it off, toss it off. And it, I, I use it all the time, too, when I'm directing other people. I'm often directing other people and trying to get them to sound more like they're just talking, that they're just, this is just rolling off the tip of their tongue without them being deliberate about it. So any one piece of advice, like, heard over a thousand times just becomes meaningless. So for me, it's like, tell me like I'm at a bar. For Stephanie, it's toss it off. But that is, of course, both of those things are true. That is what we're going for, just a real natural sounding story. Toss it off, just say it naturally like you'd say it, you know. Um, but there are other ways too, apparently. If I feel like I'm being too deliberate, I'll try saying, hey, Ben. So then Louisa went to the bar, you know, or whatever it is. Totally, um, I do that too, yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I'll just, like, I'm, I mostly track by myself, so I'll just be like, oh, my God, <clears throat> Stephanie, you wouldn't believe this thing that happened. Okay, so, so it started on Monday, and, you know, that, that just gets me in the zone. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you guys get drunk? <laughs> um, I've certainly had a drink before tracking before. How about you? Um, I don't know if I have. I probably have. But I've gotten a lot of my subjects drunk. So that's Stephanie saying that when she's directing This American Life, when she's in the IRA role in that studio and she's tracking someone else, she will make them get drunk before they track. Um, 
<laughs> different strokes for different folks, obviously. Uh, I think a thing that is helpful for me that has worked uh, many times is I have, I've tracked a lot of stuff alone. When I used to do a podcast at Studio 360 called Sideshow, I would just be there at like 11 at night making, doing like my final tracks and stuff. And I'd just be there by myself. I would sometimes listen to a song that would help me a lot, like listen to like a favorite song that like really animates me and gets me feeling pumped. Uh, and then go in there and track, and it just like loosens you up. That's you're just trying to forget yourself, forget your you know anxieties, your neuroses, and whatever you do to get there is good. I wouldn't drink coffee personally. I think that's like the wrong direction. Um, uh, maybe alcohol if that's not your jam. Some kombucha, maybe whatever puts you in your place. Uh, but the idea is, yeah, to, to to sort of like forget that you're in a studio, which is a sort of super like rigid atmosphere and just feel like you're you know, around the campfire telling a story to your friends. Another thing that's super important is posture, and I talked to some people about that, so here we go. Was there a moment for you where you like, heard a piece that you made, or even when you were on This American Life for the first time, let's say, or something, where you were like, ah, I finally fucking sound like Anna Sale, reporter? No. No? No. I mean, I think uh, there was a huge difference a huge shift, I think. I think I sounded okay as a reporter when I was doing reported pieces when I was covering politics and stuff. But it wasn't until I started Death, Sex, and Money um, and, and piloting. And what I changed there was I stopped sitting down while I tracked. Now I stand up. Mm. The and I think the biggest thing is being able to move my hands, mm. actually. Uh-huh. Because that's how I, 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 I definitely move my hands too much when I'm talking <laughs> in my real life, mm-hmm. um, but I, that's what, it's like it, it helps you sort of get your body in the rhythm of like what are the words you want to emphasize as opposed to when you're sitting and you're like looking at the script, it's all about the words in front of you and I, you know, starting out early, I used to like underline the word I wanted to hit and, mm. th- and that just makes for singy-songy delivery that's not, doesn't sound natural. Okay, so stand move your hands, but also maybe sit and move your hands? Do you sit? Do you stand? Do you lean? Do you crouch? Do you, do you, what do you do? What, do you have like some sit. sort of, there seems to, you, sit. you're a sitter. You're a sitter. Do you, yeah. How's your posture? Uh, it's a little worse than it usually is. I'm pretty casual. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, I don't get up in it. I uh, and definitely am leaning back. You can hear my chair squeak a lot. Yep. I lean it back and bring that mic to me, but that's not to be relaxed. That's because I'm going to project anyway. Okay. Spoken Flick stands. There are some standards. I'm a stander myself. Are you? I am. Um, more recently, I find like tracking the last more perfect story I did, I can actually do my standing thing sitting down, which is awesome. Uh, I just like realized I have this like new superpower where I sound like I'm standing in my head, but like I'm sitting. This is great. Uh, <laughs> and I think you'll all get there too. Like uh, you don't, I don't think anyone needs to stand forever, but for some people it might just help them like, sort of shake off their, their inhibitions or whatever. Um, but, you know, the important, the important thing is that you just feel super comfortable. Uh, but there e- are even more options. Um, Sam Sanders told me about one I had never heard. You, in real life, you talk with your whole body. Yep. And I think we forget that when we're in the studio recording. We just sit still. And do you, are you a sitter or a stander these days? I go back and forth. Yeah. I've so you- been sitting more. I used to stand a lot. Whatever it takes to get your arms, like that's the biggest part. Your arms need to be moving. Mm-hmm. Your hands need to be moving. It just opens you up. And if you can do it sitting down, fine. If you have to stand up to do it, fine. Kai Rizal does this thing, like Captain Morgan style, where he has like one foot up on the desk and his knees jutting out. 
as he tracks himself for Marketplace. Amazing. I had no idea. Maybe I should try and get yeah. Kai. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys think I should try and get Kai? I got Kai. The short answer is yes. The longer answer is I was doing what, you know, I was taught when I was an intern at KQED to do, right? Hmm. Sit up straight, get your copy in front of you, take a deep breath as the microphone comes on. That way, you know, when the microphone is on, then you're ready. Yeah. And that's really not the way humanity talks, right? <laughs> you know, you don't sit up in your chair and keep your spine straight and go from your diaphragm. You just talk. Uh, so I used to sit. I mean, when I first started in radio and, and uh, at Marketplace, I, I sat and, you know, if you listen back, you can hear I sound different. And then one day, based on, on I don't know if the name David Kandow means anything to you, but on, on David's suggestion, um, I stood up and, and you could hear it overnight, uh, the change. And I started doing my tracking. The only way I can think of to, to make this make sense is I was tracking with my whole body. Um, and, and it, you can, you can absolutely hear it. And then over time, just cause standing around for half an hour doing the show gets tiring. I put one leg up on the desk and I lean on my leg <laughs> and that's what I do. I'm standing up and I'm, I've got one foot up on the desk and I'm kind of leaning into the microphone and, and, uh, I just talk. Has, yeah. has this been documented? <laughs> oh, sure. There's pictures out there. Okay. Um, I'm sure if, so Felix Salmon, I think took some, there, there are definitely some out there. Huh. I'll have somebody poke around and, and, and find some. Has anyone ever like but, but, seen this for the first time and been shocked? Does it oh, surprise yeah. people? They're like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> totally. And you know, whenever we have visitors or donors in the in the control room, they all remark on it. I mean, it's you know, it's it's. I mean, I've been doing this a long time now, right? So yeah. I've I've found a a a, uh, a physicality that works for me. Huh. You know, and, yeah. and that works. And I think that's why I sound the way I do. So have you ever like almost like lost your footing? Half of the stuff, not half, but you certainly, <laughs> you're certainly live some of this time when you're standing, right? Yeah. If not a bunch of yeah. it. Have you uh, ever, has I have, ever gotten I have, um, there's not been an audible mishap, but my foot has slipped <laughs> off the desk uh, a time or two. Yeah. Doing live radio or done some tape thing? Oh yeah. No live, <laughs> you know, doing the two o'clock roll. That's great. That's great. But you, you've saved it because you're a pro. Yeah. You okay. know, it's, it's, uh, never let him see you sweat, I guess. Right? <laughs> So stand, sit, foot on the table, uh, lots of options here. Here's some parting advice from Kai motherfucking Rizdal. I'm a firm believer that if you think about how you sound on the radio while you're on the radio, you're going to fuck up how you sound on the radio. Um, and, and so my general mantra is don't think, just talk. And, and talk like a normal human being. So you got, you got some options here. Uh, talk like you're at a bar. Uh, don't think, just talk. Toss it off. See if we can come up with any more. Uh, oh, here's some interviewing advice from Sam Sanders, who's now hosting an interview show. My new thing now is like talk to someone, especially for like so for these author interviews or actor interviews. Yeah. I try to prepare for it and talk to them like we're on a first date. Think about a first date you might have. You want to Google the fuck out of that person. Mm. You want to like low key cyberstalk them, <laughs> figure out their deal and their situation, but still go into the conversation and act like everything they tell you is like the greatest thing in the world <laughs> and you're really engaged and you want them to keep talking and oh my god you're so funny so there's kind of a certain flirtation i think with these interviews that we're trying and it's not disingenuous because we don't talk to folks unless we want to talk to them and find them interesting but i find that when you do that when you when you're trying to give a little like low-key seduction vibe you like get people <laughs> to open up you get them to open up, and it's not me saying like, "Hey, let's go. Uh, let's go to a second location." I'm just basically saying like, "I'm really into you. 
I'm really into you as a person. I'm really into your work. I'm really into, like, understanding what makes you tick. And that's the kind of thing you do on a great first date. All right. And lastly, uh, I think a lot of this has been about, like, be yourself, find you, do you. Uh, Mike Pesco would, like, add a slight addendum to that. Uh, he's not that crazy about, like, just you in general. Here's that. See, the thing is, that's not always the best advice. That's, you know, when dating, they'll, people say, just be yourself. I mean, would most of us really get a second date <laughs> if that were the case? I'd say be the best version of yourself. Think about the most interesting version of yourself. Don't ask your best friend. Ask someone who maybe doesn't like you that much. When did you like me? What was I saying? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's, uh, there's a parting advice. Be your best self. Good advice for tracking. Good advice for life. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Let me think here. Yeah. Anything you got. Don't be shy. So I work for a member station, and I am a backup host for a... Uh, daily interview magazine, and I'd like to be a maybe less terrible backup host. And it's, Aww. and it's, it's I'm sure it's not that bad. Uh, but it's mostly live or like live to tape, so maybe I'll try out Kai's suggestion. But you know, going through 47 <laughs> versions of a script and staying up late, not tracking is maybe not really an option. So I don't know if you've had that experience, but any other advice for more of a live situation? I mean, I used to host All Things Considered live. Uh, it was, you know, there's, you're really constrained by that schedule. So, I mean, just that, that's a situation where writing can really, you can just literally write supernatural. Um, the first lesson I ever heard, other than the bar thing, was from Patrick Madden, who's a city hall reporter at WMU in Washington. And he said, like, short, punchy sentences, write like Hemingway. And I was like, write like Hemingway. If I could write like Hemingway, I wouldn't be a volunteer at WAMU. <laughs> but I tried. I went and read some Hemingway first. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Uh, and, you know, it's true. It's like, this is like short, punchy-ass sentences sound pretty natural because that is how we speak. And, like, I would look. One thing I would, could do because we had this, I don't know what the software was, but I could just look through all the reporters' scripts because they're all like in the system. And there's just like ums and errs and like all these ellipses. It doesn't even look like English when like these like beat reporters who are doing this all the time, who are like my heroes, they write in this crazy language. And we've been conditioned like journalists to like write really well. And they're just breaking down sentences into like four words, dot, 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 line break, four words, dot, 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 line break. And that, I think, is what a really good radio script should look like. Um, that's an opinion. And again, if you're Brian Reed, that does not look good, maybe. I'm not sure. I don't want to speak for Brian. But um, if you're trying to sound more natural in that sort of situation, I think it can really come from, from just like some more natural scripting. Cool. Anyone else? If you guys want to like, you know, weigh in on anything, please, but just do it loudly. Um, my name's Chris Gilbert. I'm a reporter at American Public Media, but we're headquartered at Minnesota Public Radio. And I notice in our local newsroom, a lot of the times, they use, um, we call them debriefs, NPR calls them two ways. Yeah. You know, when it's a breaking news situation, the reporter knows like this much about the story. And yeah. I think that's why they end up with this thing where they want to write everything out because they really don't want to screw it up. And I was wondering if you think there's a way around that problem. I mean, reporter, like the reason that all those answers are written out is because please don't ask me anything else because that's all I know. How, how would you deal with those? It's funny. So yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think that is the reason that is the reason it got that way. It's like we're talking about the president and this breaking news foreign policy story, and we got to get all of these details right. And so it just evolved into like, well, let's write the whole thing out. But 
I'm not so scared of hearing something on the radio that sounds flawed. Like my favorite moments of Saturday Night Live is when people are screwing up, you know? Like, I think like if you want to sound real, you're going to have to like be a little more daring and maybe make a mistake on the radio. I don't, I don't think we should be making factual errors, but this is the, the piece of tape I played from Pesca where he's saying like, I would just give them one word. If, the, if, the, if, if it was like a sports two-way on NPR on, on weekend edition or something, they'd be like, so what's the season looking like for the Vikings? And he'd be like, good. <laughs> uh, and they would say like, you gotta give us more Pesca. And he's like, I will, but chill, you know? So. I think writing out the questions we should obviously be doing, but if the answer is like, you know, January 4th, um, 40 missiles or something, those are like your points that you need to make sure you get right. But if you have that in front of you, you probably nail the rest of it. You just use your words, you open your mouth and you start talking, right? So I think just making sure we have our facts, but then not writing them in full complete sentences can help. But I understand the importance in a breaking news situation to like write out a two-way. And those are the instances where I feel like it's the least offensive. But when it's like a, a 10-minute a ten two-way about like some cultural event in New York and I'm listening to a, a fully scripted conversation, I want to die, you know? Like it does not sound like something that should be on the radio, really. I mean, especially now with the, that there's a lot of competition, you know? A, an opinion, I'm sorry, okay. Hi. Um, I, have a, I have a question. Yeah. I've been in radio for a long, long time as a host and producer and all this kind of stuff, you know? And I feel like going into a hosting mode in this, having learned how to speak on radio for NPR, from NPR, um, it provides me with some type of armor, especially when I'm in situations that are very difficult emotionally um, to deal with. And so I wonder about how you kind of maintain the armor of performance. Um, try to sound more natural as if natural exists and it's not performance itself. But um, how, do you, how do you maintain that when you are in a situation where you're you know, in a difficult hosting situation? I, I don't know if I've ever been in that situation. So does anyone else have an opinion to weigh in on that? I mean, how do you do it? I perform. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I very much go into hosting mode, and then I can deal with the information and be uh, dis, dis entangled from it, disconnected from it in a way. But I don't know if it serves the content. I don't know if it's, if it's really compelling or anything, but I, I think that it's difficult to get through some situations when you're, you're, in a, you're live hosting and you're doing things without having some type of like, some mode to be in where you're, you're playing the role of host, you know, and you're not the friend and you're not the, you know, it, I, I think that, that, it, that being the host can serve a purpose. I think that guy next to you has some experience with this. Should we ask him? <laughs> you're suggesting because I cry on the air sometimes that <laughs> yes. I have notes about this? <laughs> I think we may have a disagreement. I think it's I think it's good to be really human, and you get you can be very much yourself in that moment. But maybe maybe you don't want to be, and maybe your bosses don't want you to be. But I, Ike, what do you think? <laughs> I think I think people I think people want I think people want a very human, empathetic reaction that feels natural. Yeah. I well, think that's true. So what is your situation? But the thing is, I mean, you know, I'm reporting news stories and. Like eight months pregnant, reporting Michael Vick is beating his dog, and I'm like, I'm gonna fucking die right now, you know. And I just, my job is to give the news. My job is not to be an emotional 
person or even have an emotional opinion about it. It's to report the news. So I, I don't know if being... Well, Cronkite uh, cried on the air, right? Yeah, and I do think that, that... But you know those moments when Cronkite cries on the air or breaks from character? Yeah. It is profound. Exactly. Because he doesn't do it. You know, yeah. because he's breaking the performance mode. And, but that... But I think he, he wouldn't... He, that wouldn't be profound if he wasn't yeah. performing all the time. So maybe the, the takeaway is don't cry all the time. Don't, don't cry all the time. Save it for the best moments. Monitor your humanity <laughs> for when it makes the biggest impact. Yeah. I don't know. I think about this stuff a lot. So, but Yeah, no, that's really Hopefully interesting. I, I mean, I would err on the side of just crying, but uh, there's a lot of things in the news these days that make me want to cry. So I, could, I was just going to respond to that. I'm not sure what you mean by performing and like reading the news, but I work with a lot of print reporters who are going on the radio for the first time. And <clears throat> it is a performance. You have to perform. And there's like this barrier where they feel like I'm not being a journalist if I'm performing. But the thing is, you wrote your script in a way, right? You included sound in a certain way. So it's like you're not this impartial person who's telling me a news story. You're deciding how you're telling me that news story. And you need to use your voice in a way to tell me that story too. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's only gonna make the delivery better. It's only gonna make people more interested. Nailed it. Sure, please. Should we wait for the mic though? Because I think that uh, whoever joked about la crying, if a woman goes on the air and wants to have some kind of authority, sorry, you can't go on and, and, and have a soft, wimpy, weepy voice. You have to have, bring some sense of authority, and I agree with you totally that uh, bringing empathy, which I think you do every day, to how you host is uh, also really important. But I, I do think the, the gender question, and I'd love to hear from other women about this, about how the, what the experience is, but I mean, I write for a host who's a male host, and I can write in his voice backwards, but finding the voice for a woman is a little bit different. And it is different, because the listener hears women differently than they hear men. And men walk in the room with authority right away. And they can cry then. <laughs> and I, not, I and not right. be seen, and I know you were joking, but anyway. But I also think, if I may, uh, a question I was asked when they asked me to do this session was like, so what are your thoughts on vocal fry? And I, my thought is that we should never talk about vocal fry. <laughs> so like, I would say that the person who's getting upset when someone cries in the air, especially a woman, if, if they think, like, this woman's like not professional, that's the problem. But maybe if we all cry more, the problem will go away. And I'm not joking, I'm serious. I, I think... So how come it's always the guys who are saying, you know, maybe if we cry more, maybe we're more ourselves, and it's the women who are saying, you know, in my experience, there's a problem with that. Well, obviously because we get a pass, right? But I mean, I think if we all start accepting the fact that we shouldn't be listening to the people who are, who are calling women out for vocal fry, or even, like, I didn't talk about vocal fry today because that's not a thing that we should be worrying about. We, and the one great thing about podcasting is we're no longer working in an ecosystem where you need to sound, you need to have a Kai Rizdal voice, you need to have this million dollar radio voice, right? Everyone's voice now matters more than it used to. And that makes this a very exciting time to be making radio. So, but yeah, if more yeah. women want to speak to this, um, please. I think a, or a host who's really achieved this really well is Robin Young from Here and Now. 
Um, and she recently did an interview with a family who had lost a few family members in the California wildfires. And it was a long two-way, um, I don't know if it was 10, 12 minutes, with one of the surviving family members who was waiting outside the emergency room to find about the fate of some of these family members. And um, I would just encourage you to listen to that, because I think Robin Young does a great job of being a serious host and is incredibly empathetic when it's necessary and is unafraid to. And you hear her in this interview, like you'll hear her say, oh my God. And like, wow, you know, and she's taking it in, and it's so terrible, and I loved it, you know, and I think it was totally appropriate, and any other kind of unempathetic response would have been totally inappropriate at that moment, so I encourage you to go to that, and then there was one other piece she did, might have been two years ago, where two children got locked in a chest, like a, at home, there's chests that open, and then they lock inside, and they suffocated, and she, at the end of that interview, said, and I'm going to go home, and I'm going to open up my chest, and I'm going to destroy it, that lock. You know, and she's a mom. And so I just, I just point to her as somebody who I do think that women hosts can be serious, and they can also be empathetic, and we don't have to make a choice. And I'd encourage you to just be your true self. And, and let's not forget that the gold standard of radio interview is still Terry Gross, who shows her emotion all the time. Mind you, your situation with Michael Vick sounded like much more contained and like a short news piece, but I think there are great examples of um, women who are allowed to show their emotion in public radio and, and do it all the time. And Terry's still the best interviewer, right? I mean, I am HO, but yeah. Um, I would also just trust your listeners to pick up on your breathing. I think that that's a really important thing, and I, I mean, as a big consumer, I hear it all the time, and it changes my emotions when I'm listening. So, Dr. Sean, I want to talk about the psychology of tracking, wow. because um, what I tend to do is, unfortunately, leave tracking to the last minute when uh -huh. I have big deadlines, and something that I love to do, I end up hating doing it. And I find that I get stiff and angry and frustrated when I'm trying to sound that I love my material and I love broadcasting and aren't I happy about what I'm doing? Yeah. So do you have any tips about how you can, when you get really frustrated and you can sense that your spirit is closing down, you know, what are some ways, and we can talk about this afterwards. I mean, like, you know, I'll pay you. Yeah. Um, uh, how can you just like open back up again so that you can do all of these wonderful things like find your voice and whatnot. This is an experience that's going to be different for each individual, for sure. But uh, don't track in those circumstances, for sure. Let's start there. Uh, I mean, I, if, if at all possible, I would not track at the last minute. It's uh, more perfect. That question reminds me of our experiences there, which, uh, you know, I spent a year on and off making my last story for that show. Uh, so I tracked that thing so many times. And in the piece, you can hear tracking from you know, November of last year, from April, from, from August, uh, which is an insane luxury that not everyone has, and I realize that, but, but, you, and, but then the funny thing is that Jad will then, like if we're doing pickups for the episode before it goes out, like the night before at like one in the morning, we'll be tracking stuff at one in the morning when everyone is just so exhausted, but he loves that stuff. He loves like, you're exhausted, I don't give a shit anymore, take. Uh, so it can be an interesting thing. It can be, it can propel you in the right direction. It can also go terribly wrong. But 
I mean, if you have the time and you have the luxury uh, of time, then I would say, you know, rec track it multiple times if you really care about the piece, you know? Um, and then you'll have options. And as Anna said, like, listen back to your tracking. Like, oh, I did this thing there and this thing here. So I'm going to take that piece and that piece and, you know. And I realize that some of us are beat reporters who don't have any of that time, and I'm sorry. Does that answer it? Was that good? Anyone else weigh in? Ways to psych yourself out? Try oh, sorry. Oh. Hi. Um, hi. So I just wanted to point out, like that, that keep your form in mind. That you know, live radio, live broadcast is very different from reported broadcast, pre-recorded broadcast, which is different from um, on-demand listening. Like all those contracts with listeners are different, and so you know, I'd urge the people who are live hosts to give themselves some slack, especially when you're coming up against a clock and you can't open that can of worms. But as an editor, like when when I'm editing scripts, you know, part of what my job is to think about like what did we what did the listener just hear and like are you acknowledging that before you move on you know so like a lot of it is just like what is going if you're if you are in the do you have the luxury of pre-recording is like what is the what is the thing that the listener is just hearing and very often when we're tracking we'll play the tape of you know down the line to yeah. the reporter or the host and that is so useful especially with people who are new to recording themselves is to just re-enter that moment when you did that interview and you had that laugh or you hear the song and you're like, God damn, you know, and it's those moments, Radio Lab tries to capture them a lot too, I think, yeah. where those little tiny reactions to acknowledge the emotion that you just raised in a listener can be huge in terms of your authenticity and, and just the, the feeling that the listener is staying with you and you're not just like, okay, anyway, so now the next thing, you know? So that's a, another tip to try to listen to your tape or at least have someone read you the script if you can't line up the cuts and, and just that adds so much, I think. Yeah, and I wouldn't be intimidated by the scale of, of what you're doing compared to what we're doing or, or that kind of thing. I mean, in, in the studio when we're tracking more perfect stuff, Jad will just like play cuts from his phone into the mic for us to hear. It's the most you know, gangster method imaginable. He's just like, all right, that cut, here's that cut. And you're like, this is what we're doing? This is how Radio Lab works? The first time he did it, I was like, is this really happening? Because like, even at Studio 360, when I worked there, we had engineers who'd be like, all right, Kurt, here's the, here's the tape. And it was all coming through like Pro Tools. And Jad's just doing it off Dropbox on his phone. Uh, so like, don't think that, oh, those big league guys, they got it all going on. Like, that's not even true. And that art beat thing I played you from WAMU, I recorded that in a closet in Los Angeles in the suburbs of LA. Like, I, I didn't have anything. I had some borrowed equipment, a borrowed mic, an Mbox, a laptop, and it, you, I don't think it sounded that much worse than, like, at least just the, the mic um, than anything else I played you. So, you know, a lot of the, the tricks to doing this right are at your fingertips already. So, it's in the writing. So, I just wanted to talk about a little bit of performance aspect. I work with a lot of voice actors. And I'm often the engineer in the room and a fly on the wall for directors who direct those voice actors. And I'm going to throw an idea your way about getting performance out of a script. And we often uh, create products that are meant for just everyday language, very direct, speaking to people. And we break up the line breaking that you showed in the beginning with the Word document. It's exactly how we parse out the language. Yeah. Our approach, though, uh, so we get an hour or two with the voice actor, but we want them to sound as natural as possible. We have them read through the entire script without breaks a couple times just so they can get a sense of the pacing, so speaking to the form of what you're doing. And then we go piece by piece and have them read three times. Yeah. Give me cold, give me hot, give me just right. All right, let's dig in, think about it this way. So 
there are two things there. One, you get the full script in a good chunk to hear what it sounds like in a 90-second format, and then you get the digging into each individual piece, and then we have them go back again and read through it twice. So that last time, they know what the pacing's like, they know what the motion's supposed to be like, and then having a director in the room, so somebody that's always leading you, that's a third party, is especially the most helpful. And I, I don't say anything because I'm the engineer, but most of the time when I've been able to direct, it's always helpful to have two or three people there yeah. listening and having the input. So just that comes back to like, do you have the luxury of having two or three people sitting around, right? Correct. So Anna Sale does, you do. Most of us don't. And even like, and as Stephanie said, so there's, there's reasons to do both, but as Stephanie said, like she thought she was better at tracking when it was just her in a studio in Oakland making Snap Judgment. And then now that she's got Ira in the room, it's, it's kind of a pain, right? <laughs> and I feel the same way. I, when I go to the studio at one in the morning with Jad to finish up the episode of More Perfect, and he's like, all right, here's, I just give me this, give me this thing. And I'm just like, like, I don't want to do this in front of you right now. But like in the back of my head, that's always there. Like, I'm, I'd rather perform for this like sort of abstract audience than for you right now, the situation. Because I'm just looking at you like, you're Jad, it's one in the morning, you've got kids, what are we doing here? Like, <laughs> Uh, but so I think, yeah, I mean, for different people, like that might be helpful, and for other people, it might be harmful to getting like a really natural read. But is that what you're going for with vo voice actors? Is like a really natural sort of? Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you're doing it by yourself, this is like a thing that Do you find that they get better as time goes on or worse? They do. Yeah, yeah totally. Especially it's a script they've never seen before. Huh. So if they didn't write right. it, they've never seen it, they come down and sit down and read through. Yeah. That's the professional acting side of them, but the what the writer wants out of it is is difficult. So in this way you're playing two or three roles on your own. So you have to judge yourself, but what Anna was saying is you go back and listen and find oh I, that sounded really funny, so you re record it. Yeah. Give yourself the options up front if it's helpful. Yeah. Great. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. One more. I have a complaint and an observation. Great. Um, my complaint is that uh, I think I heard it today, and I know I heard it on the long-form podcast, where Ira Glass was denying that many reporters sound or try to sound like him when they read. <laughs> and I think I heard it again in some of the tape you played of like, hey, we all try to do our own thing here. Um, so I just want to get that out, that I hear it, and I, th I hope a lot of other people hear that too. Um, one observation, though, in thinking about like why that is that so many people on This American Life take on a certain affectation is that I think there's a real character that's been developed for that show that I'm seeing not just as reporter, but reporter as detective, where the detective is constantly trying to make sense of the newest piece of evidence and to bring up the next piece that doesn't make sense that they have to then track down as a detective. And so my, upset, my suggestion, because so many people are sort of starting their own shows and building their own characters, is maybe think about that as, you know, to what degree am I playing det detective or are there other types of characters that I'd like to play? And still, you know, you can be a narrator or be a sort of host of a show, um, but I think there's a broad range of, of archetypes maybe that you can latch on to to do that. Sure, and this gets back to the, the whole thing, finding your voice. I mean, there are a lot of little Iras out there, there are a lot of little Jads, um, and it makes sense because they made incredible shows that influenced us all, but they, the reason we all love those shows is because they didn't sound like another thing, right? So go make your thing, and we'll all love that.
I wear headphones. What do you guys think, though? Let's have a conversation. I, the reason that I ask is that so at my station, people always tell us to not wear headphones, um, which drives me insane because I'm always wearing headphones. Shouldn't you hear the thing that you're doing? I think so. So, but but the rationale is if people who are not used to hearing themselves in headphones hear themselves in headphones, they'll sound unnatural because they're thinking about how they uh, sound. Oh yeah, your guess. So I wonder what other people think about that. I think, I mean, so, I mean I, my first big gig was at Studio 360, and we were always playing lots of clips. So clips meant guests needed to wear headphones. Um, but I feel like a lot of the interviews I do are studio to studio, so it's not even a question, because uh, if they weren't wearing headphones, they, it would be much of an interview. Uh, <laughs> okay, cool. I, I guess I have that authority now. Cool. Hi. Um, do you have any tips for like writing in and out of tape and like tracking in and out of tape so that you're like complementing the tape instead of just like repeating it or like emphasizing it? Just things you think about to like go in and out of the tapes that you're playing. I mean, variations on a theme is very important. So I think when I'm listening to podcasts and I hear someone go like, "And here is the tape," "And here is the tape," "And here is the tape," I don't want to hear the tape anymore. Uh, I just want it, I want, it, I want it to feel a little more natural, personally. I think this is part of the find your voice sort of adventure that you're all going to go on, or already on probably, uh, is figuring out what works best for you. But uh, I'm most recently coming out of this more perfect experience where I think we find like every possible way to go in and out of tape throughout the piece. I mean, sometimes you're you know, IDing ahead, sometimes you're IDing behind, sometimes you're not IDing at all, sometimes something... Like what sort of what you think about like writing to it so that like the content of what you're saying is, is about to like come before what they're going to say to kind of like, oh. like w when you're writing I guess is like more. So you mean like how much should I hold your hand into the tape? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I think that can be up to you too. Uh, lead with tape, right? Show, not tell. So maybe, I mean, I think sometimes today I played some tape first and then explained it and sometimes I explained it before I played it. And, you know, you can feel that out. Does anyone else have opinions about that? Come on, y'all are all radio makers. What do you think? Yell it. Um, just by the instinct that what happens to me is to be conscientious about the tone and the tone of the tape. And sometimes when I track, if I don't listen to the tape as I track, then when I go to my ending session, I realize that like, I was way so, great hack there is to have the tape with you when you're tracking, of course. That always helps. And, you know, you would think over, like, more perfect Radiolab, we're like, you know, we have, like, it all engineered out, and there's some guy sitting there who look, like, looks grumpy, but is engineering it all and has the tape. We literally, like, will play the tape off of our phones, like I did this morning at breakfast. Like, what did that tape sound like again? I'll just, like, scroll to it really quickly. Oh, that's the tone there. That's what the tape is. Let's not, like, sound like we're too excited about that hernia or whatever, you know? So... <laughs> So that's, um, that's a thing you can also do to, to make that process a little easier. Um, I really struggle still with like, when you really need to have a lot of numbers or like complicated pieces of legislation and things like that. Like, how do you give that background that like, requires some amount of jargon, but you don't want to sound too jargony, and like, your listeners, like, you might know about this issue so well, but your listeners might know nothing, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, Part of it is telling me that story 
at, at all times, it's just telling me the story like you're telling me a story. And like if you were telling me the story and my eyes started to wander away while you started mentioning a bunch of numbers, a bunch of names, like you might tell it just a bit differently, like, but break it down to just its essentials. Again, one idea per sentence. So if it's a number, just give me the number, explain it. So one of the things we had to do this season on More Perfect was like explain an algorithm basically, explain a formula, and we did like three or four drafts of it because it was like, well, is, do, do people get it? Do people get it? Do people get it? And then Jab was like, okay, now I think we get it. And I was like, okay. And then people listened to it like, I didn't get that at all. So, <laughs> so I, I don't know like, if I can tell you how to perfectly do that, but I mean, in cases where things really need to be explained, don't be afraid to explain them. Um, and then just the other thing is like, don't over explain something that's super simple. Like, you know, to use your phone, you touch the button and then, you know, like that would be unnecessary. But, uh, you know, Pesca told me about uh, when he was working at NPR, uh, someone told him that he had to explain that a three-pointer was worth three points. I'm not trying to throw shade at NPR. I think NPR is the reason we're all here. But like, you know, there's some obvious stuff. And I think some stuff can veer on the like borderline to explain and then other things like, wait, what? I need you to tell me what that is. And that's just, I think, a judgment call. Sarah used to edit me back when I didn't know anything. The art beats, yeah, the famous art beats. Um, my question for you, Sean, and for anyone else in the audience who has tips is mouth sounds. I've been like overhydrating my host for months and months. And then oh, someone yeah. told us to have green apples, so I was like making me green apples. None of this stuff seems to make much of a difference, hydrated, not hydrated. So I'm wondering what people do for just, you know, mouth, mouthy. Mouth noise yeah, is terrible. Exactly. Apple juice. Apple juice. Nice. And if you don't like apple juice? Not coffee. Coffee's bad. And also. Coffee's bad, right? Coffee might like get you on the overcaffeinated, like too excited about a hernia again, where you don't want to be. So that's why I say like songs, maybe even a beer to like chill you out or something. If you don't drink, maybe you know like uh, kombucha. I don't know what it is, but coffee can be coffee can be very dangerous and dries you out. So some of the more perfect tracking we're doing on my last story, we were doing like really early or late, uh, mostly late at night, and I would have like a little tiny shot of coffee in like a water bottle, because <laughs> I don't even drink coffee, and I would get like parched out, and I was like so embarrassed, because some of that stuff made it into the piece, and I'm like listening to this thing I spent a year on, and I'm like, why, mouth noise? Um, but yeah, you should all be super cautious about that, because no one wants to hear that, <laughs> right? Any other tricks, apple juice, anything else? Our mics are really sensitive, yeah. It could, yeah, we try that, yeah. I mean, never be afraid to, like, if you're not live, to stop an interview and be like, can you drink some water? Oh, yeah, um, believe me. That's very, very It's like important. floating away. Because, like, you have one shot at this interview. You don't want to be like, that mouth voice really sucks. Let's do it for another 45 minutes. Maybe it'll get better. Being a swisher. So you're talking to a guest and you can be like, excuse me, could you just close your mouth for a moment and run your tongue? <laughs> so it's more for yourself, maybe, though. <laughs> Like, if you're together with them, you can just say, like, just do this, and then you do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true.
Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, what's up? I've told people to think about a steak before, or like something really delicious, and it's worth And then they're like, I'm a vegetarian. That's a really good one, actually. Yeah, like think about your favorite spicy burrito for sure. Hi, Alex. Hey, Sean. Whoa. Oh, they're loud, these microphones. Um, so, um, okay, so a bunch of the people who you played today, or today uh, and also, well, well, maybe all of them are super outgoing. Um, and when I teach my students, like I'm a pretty outgoing person too, and I always struggle trying to help people who are more introverted. Uh, in their performance, um, you know, and I try a, a bunch of the tricks that you that you wrote that you Dean talked about, and I'll steal some more. Thanks, so thank you for that. But I don't know if you or anyone else here has tips for people who are more introverted as they're tracking, especially for uh, beginners. Yeah. So I've literally worked with your students. Yes, you have. And you did a great job, and uh, I, I feel like you should be teaching more, perhaps. Well, thank in, you. you know, when, in, in when I retire day. at 37 or something, but like. It's funny because there's this thing, so Alex teaches a class at NYU and then he'll invite me to come help them track. But I'll go into this classroom, which the studio, it's not in a classroom, it's the size of this table right, that I'm leaning on. And I don't know any of these kids. So I'm meeting them for the first time in a tiny room and they don't want to be doing this. They're like nervous, they've never done it before. And they're doing it with a stranger who's like, I'm a professional. And they're like, great, I don't know, you get away from me. Uh, and then one time we did it after the election last year. It was like, I think that was Audrey's class, but it was November 9th or whatever, 8th. And it was like, people were not in the best spirits. Uh, but so what do you do in those moments? We're like, you, you're an introvert. There's a stranger in the room with you telling you how to track. So, I mean, my approach is just like lots of self-deprecation. <laughs> like, be like, oh, don't worry, I'm just an idiot. And then, <laughs> and then like, and then, you know, you go through it once and that's a throwaway. And then the second time, they're a little more comfortable no matter what. You're going to be more comfortable the second time. And then the third time, I'd maybe ask them to like turn the script over sometimes. And when you turn your script over, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert or an alien, like you're going to say it uh, the way you would say it more naturally. So that's, I think, you know, something Anna was talking about, Pesco was talking about. Um, that's just like a surefire way. It's the brain dump. It's just tell me, tell me a story. And you're just a kid at a campfire at that point, you know? And even if it's not like the most exciting read, you're just using your words to tell me what happened. And that's sort of like a fail safe, I think. Anyone else got some, got some knowledge there? Way back, yeah, can you be loud? Tell them that they're good even if they're not at first, <laughs> just because they did it and that's good enough sometimes. Totally, and like you don't have to be great that first time, you'll, you'll get there. I mean, th th those situations, it's just about like learning how to do it. So it's lower stakes. Um, but I think This American Life has like people all the time on who aren't professional storytellers, radio producers, whatever. They're journalists, they're authors, they're people who've had experiences who are telling the story. And sometimes they sound more natural, sometimes they don't. But at some point, it's just about the thing that you're talking about, right? And especially on that level, it doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, sure, positive reinforcement, heck yeah. Cool, anything else, Any, anything else? people have work, yeah. So I'm like a very mundane talker and after a few takes I had somebody tell me like, all right, turn it up to like 11, like as amped as you can get. And then it's like, oh, that sounded normal. <laughs> that that worked? Turn up to 11 worked? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it like made me realize, oh, in order to sound excited and into it, like being an introvert, it was like, I couldn't get there without like really exaggerating. And then once I learned where that place was, it was easier to get 
Cool. I feel like if I said turn up to 11 to like one of your students, they'd be like, leave me alone, sir. <laughs> but I'm glad it works. I mean, that's, that's great. That's great. Some people probably can't turn up to 11, but, you know, if you can. I've had a track and coach <laughs> I don't know, I think it's trying to get me to turn up to a lot of different So I don't know, it's not always helpful, but... I've certainly screamed in a studio before just to like get out, you know, whatever is sitting in there and preventing me from doing it better, but better in a studio than like out in the, in the hallway. Other things? Yeah, what's um, So by the time I'm on like draft 52 of my story and I'm like ready to track, I like have no joy in it anymore. Like the jokes that I wrote in like draft six like aren't funny to me anymore. So it's not so much a like sounding natural, it's sounding like that you like what you're doing. <laughs> so any tips for like, I've had colleagues like just sit in the booth with me and listen, which sounds like a terrible, like I'm sorry that they have to do that just to tell it to another person. But are there other tricks that you use to find joy? I mean, if something feels stale to you, I would ditch it, you know? Yeah, that's not, that thing's not going to get better. It's going to get worse, probably. But I think the colleague thing is actually what should work. But instead of just, like, it shouldn't be static. Um, Anna, professional she is, was talking. I, there's another piece of tape that I cut. But it isn't just Emily in the studio with her. Although now she's in Oakland, and her producers are in, are in New, or she's in Berkeley, and they're in New York, or whatever it is. But um, they're, like, always there feeding back constantly. Like, Anna, just tell it to me like this. Tell it to me like that. And... And that should help. I mean, everyone does it, so I assume it's working some of the time at least. But, like, not just, okay, so, 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 Mooj, here's the story, whatever it is. Like, Mooj asking me questions back is going to help because that's going to get me out of my script. And maybe you'll crack a joke that you didn't write before, but that's like a new organic to your session joke, and that joke will be even better. Um, that, that helps. I mean, a lot of like the, the, the bantery stuff you hear on, on Radiolab and More Perfect, as, as far as I know, is, you know, organic stuff that might have happened in the studio. Um, so if you hear like Jad laughing at something I said in, in like my latest episode or something, it's because I actually just like made him laugh in that moment, which, you know, is obviously harder and easier for some people. But um, that there's, there's bound to be. And the, another thing I should say is like, you don't want to expect like, let me go track for 20 minutes and it'll be done. Like, some of the tracking that we do on, on these shows takes forever. And like, people have like three hour tracking sessions. Do you want to get on the mic? Yeah, like follow up question, sorry. Um, does it help to like step away from the script for a few days? Or like, do you just say like, this is going to be my tracking day and I'm going to be in here all day, I'm going to do what I need to do? No, no, I think just, it like, totally it helps to get away from it. And also to track over and over. And like, then you, you know, eventually your story might have this tracking was from two months ago and this thing's from like yesterday and this thing's from you know, like a week ago. That's totally fine, I think. I mean, if you have the time and the luxury, if you're doing like a daily grind, that's probably not going to happen. But um, certainly at, at, the, at the like level of like more perfect and whatnot, there's tracking from like a year ago sometimes and then tracking from a week ago, which is bananas. Bananas. Um, so I do a lot of live radio in addition to tracking and yeah. two ways and things like that. And I'm curious if you or anyone here has advice on, you know, we all have verbal tics. You know, like... Um, uh, I feel that I get a lot more response to that, potentially because of my gender, um, where I'll do a live show and then I'll get emails that are kind of amazing. But it's hard because you're trying to sound natural in the moment, and I think this can also work even if you know, you're putting down your script and trying to be a little more extemporaneous. So I'm just curious, like, how do you stay in the moment but try not to sound uneducated or 
say something over and over again that bothers people. I think we should all, as like a as a as a tribe of radio makers, worry less about trying to sound uneducated or whatever that is. Like, that's just some old world shit that we don't need to pay that much attention to. Like vocal fry, it, like that should not be a thing that we're talking about. That's like your voice, not your voice. But if you have vocal fry, just own it. You know, like I don't think like Kai Rizdal has a very traditional like radio voice and. That's fine, that's Kai Rizdal, but like producers and reporters on his show have whatever radio voice, you know? And I, I think, do you. And you know, the, I cut out this Pesca rant that I thought was funny, but maybe not so relevant, but he talked about um, <clears throat> scripting two ways. Uh, if you listen to Morning Edition or All Things Considered, local, national, whatever, you will hear scripted two ways. You'll hear a conversation between your morning edition, all things considered host, and maybe a reporter, where sometimes if you're listening carefully enough, you can hear like that the entire thing is scripted. And some, sometimes it's done really well, and sometimes it's not. And Pesco is ranting about it because he said that he would just give the hosts and producers one word answers. They'd be like, here are the questions, here's what I'm gonna say in one word. So like, what does this season mean for, for the Vikings? And he'd be like, good. And they'd be like, what are you gonna say? We need to know what you're gonna say so we can prep our host. And he was like, no, you don't need to know what I'm gonna say, because like, I did my homework, and we're gonna have a good conversation. And now, I'm not trying to knock prepping out a conversation about foreign policy to every last word, because you need to make sure you get it right on a really short turnaround, but I think the reason we're all excited about podcasting is because we're hearing things that are real and that we connect with. And when it sounds super scripted, I don't think people connect with it as much. It just sounds like professional news reportage and it can be less, um, less compelling a thing. Well, that depends on the host, right? Like, because sometimes if you're the reporter being interviewed, you don't have that control. I mean, you don't have the we have a host who yeah. doesn't, like this week I told his producer I'm not gonna give him questions ahead of time because he doesn't look at them and it's a waste of my time and she like, almost freaked out, but yeah. it worked. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, it depends, he on, doesn't the, want to. It depends so. on the environment you're in, for sure. But yeah. uh, I think, Do you think I should just say you know over and over again and piss <laughs> off these sexist guys and it's cool? I'm all, as a man, I'm not going to tell you what to do. All right, good answer. But uh, I say like a lot, and I feel like I'm saying like, to, I'm, I have like an affect. I'm, yeah. I'm doing it to make it sound more relatable sometimes. And that's probably not good either, personally. Like, I shouldn't be saying like, just be like, look guys, like, I'm like casual like, and like, like, you know, it's so like easy to understand like what I'm saying, like, you know, but I think if it's natural, uh, go for it, go for it. That's especially, yeah, especially on the podcast tip, you know, yeah. Cool, did we do it? We did it, thanks everyone.